there is time, you know, we have to make time. We have to put our own gas mask on first, you know, even if it's just a couple of minutes, even if it's locking ourselves in a cupboard, like you said earlier, and just breathing, we have to make time. And to have that allowance is vital for everybody. You know, we as parents need to keep that ball rolling. And we need to put ourselves first. And I think removing the guilt of that, sometimes we feel so selfish for putting our needs first when, you know, there's a multiple, so many needs going on in our house. But to say, no, I need my time. I need my space. And again, I say this to my son. I say, you know, how you need your your boundaries and your space. Mummy needs hers as well, actually. And I need you to respect that. And whether he listens or not, I try and, <laughs> I try and implement those boundaries. So where you can put that gas mask on and whether that is reaching out to a friend whether that is you know journaling everything that you're feeling getting it out just finding a a community online that has a similar story whatever that looks like it's about putting giving yourself that time guilt-free welcome to the daily naked pair podcast brought to you by rocco blue the first ever brand focused on supporting parents with special needs children Naked Parent Nation is a group of parents with special needs children who are willing to get vulnerable, strip it all down, and take a look at ourselves, our parenting, our family, and our plans to create a life beyond our wildest dreams. On today's show, we'll be discussing the need for parents to look after themselves first. Hello, Naked Parent Nation, and welcome to today's episode of the Naked Parent Podcast. My name is Chad Ratliff, and I'm your host. Before I introduce you to our guest today, let me start by sharing a message from Naked Parent Nation. Naked Parent Nation is a worldwide community of parents and professionals raising children with all kinds of needs. We come together to share our naked truth, support our fellow parents, and inspire the inner growth that each of us needs to build the life and family of our dreams. For the parents that are struggling, we want you to know that we will love you until you can love yourself. For your children, we pray and send power from our collective group. As we come to understand our divine nature, we realize there's no need to feel sorry for ourselves, be angry, or feel lack. We come to understand that our feelings of limitation and separation are only in our minds. Through self-realization, we expand our consciousness so that the challenges that perplex us today dissipate one by one until we're able to see and experience gratitude and beauty in everything just as it is. We have the power to create any kind of life we want for ourselves and our families. We do this by living in the naked present moment one day at a time. This is the process of naked parenting, whether this is your first step on the path or your 10th. I'd like to welcome you to Naked Parent Nation and the Naked Parent Podcast. As we do, before we get to our guest today, we take a moment for ourselves. And if you just want to get in your most comfortable position possible and get your spine erect and allow your eyes to close and just give yourself a few minutes for yourself and I will guide you through a little experience. Just think about how you're feeling right now. Think about what you're hearing and just let it be.
Now bring your awareness to the feelings of kindness. How does it feel to be kind to someone? What does it feel like to do a kind act? Humans have always strived to be the kindest creatures on earth. And it feels good when we're kind. Without kindness, think about what kind of world it would be. Notice how your body feels. Notice any sensations. And notice where those sensations are. Let yourself relax just a little bit more. Let yourself sink just deeper into your chair or your bed. Don't try and bring up anything in particular, but don't try and stop anything that comes up. Just let the emotions flow. Now focus on your breath and get conscious. Deep inhale and hold it and exhale, relax and allow your breaths to become longer and deeper. Take an observer's view at what's happening and what you're doing. Notice if your tummy is swelling and contracting. Remember that it's okay to feel positive and negative emotions. Just allow them to roll in and effortlessly roll right on through. Now I want you to think of a place that you've always thought was a safe place for you. A place where you have memories of pleasant feelings. Let those feelings and memories come in to your consciousness and pass right through. Notice any sensations that come up. Now imagine a place where you felt joy, a place where you have a lot of joyful memories. Maybe when you were a child. Feel it in your body and then let those feelings flow right on through. Let the sounds flow right on through. That's how life is. Sounds, sensations, joys, sorrow flowing in 
and hopefully letting it go through. Focus back on your breath. And breathe into that joyful place. And exhale, letting that place go. How do you feel right now? Remember that you can always go hide away in the bathroom, bring up a joyful place, breathe in deeply to it and let it pass on through and take these moments so that we can get recharged and refreshed. And with another inhale, exhale and let it all go and allow yourself to come back into the room, into your body. And whenever you're ready, feel free to open your eyes. Okay, so I'm excited to introduce you to our guest today who I'm really excited to hear about her journey. Ang Harrod Hughes. How did I, Ang Harrod? Perfect, perfect pronunciation, thank you. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. And where Pleasure. are you calling in from? Uh, so I'm calling in from the UK in a very sleepy little countryside town in um, the middle of Wiltshire in the UK. Wow. So I understand you're a mom of two. Two boys, yep. Eight and five. And um, you're a, a well-being coach, uh, mostly working with parents, dealing with anxiety, overwhelm, uh, stress and just demands of parenting in everyday life. Is that yeah. how long have you been doing that? Uh, so about the last five years, I've set up my own my own coaching business. I work from um, from home, um, and over lockdown, there was a lot of demand over lockdown, as I can as you can imagine. Yeah, no, it's it's an absolute joy and a privilege to to be in that capacity, and it's something that uh, resonates so much with me. And I think. Where I meet my clients from so much of a, a personal experience point of view because my journey's not been simple and I've had many kind of bumps in the road and to be able to fully empathize, fully say, yes, I've worn that T-shirt, I think really helps with my clients and especially with this new neurodivergent journey that, I've, that I'm, I'm experiencing at the moment, which we'll come on to, I'm sure, but it's been a, a whole new realm to my coaching experience to bring in that um, awareness and understanding and it's a real like I say privilege to to have brought that um that realm to my to my coaching yeah I'm excited to get into that because it's 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 hard to learn it's hard to feel understood from somebody who hasn't worn shoes as specific yeah. as yeah. you know raising special needs children so can you just to enhance the picture a little bit can you tell us what your family looks like, maybe ages, um, just. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Boys, girls. Um, yep. So like I say, two boys, but Teddy, who's almost nine. He's nine next week. I've got Digby, who's five. I live at home with my husband, two dogs. I suppose I wasn't really particularly aware of autism. I wasn't particularly aware of much neurodivergence 
until very recently you know I've, I've very openly admit my ignorance to what particular demands that the autistic world faces and I started having a few autistic clients myself and this really opened my eyes up and I was fascinated by how my clients' brains were working and the way their their brain travelled in very new ways for me, other than different to the way that many of my neurodivergent clients, my neurotypical clients were reacting. And so this kind of opened up a real mm, curiosity around the autistic world. And I really, really wanted to learn a lot more. And this was before my son um, started displaying a lot of his autistic traits. But I suppose that set the background to my kind of piquing my interest, going, oh, I'm wanting to understand more. I'm kind of understanding a little bit about the autistic brain. But it wasn't until my son started developing some traits, I was kind of piecing the pieces of the jigsaw together. And it's been very, very recent, our journey. Um, he is, like I say, he's almost nine. I think over lockdown period, I don't know if many of your followers or listeners have experienced this, but I think over lockdown, over the COVID, over homeschooling, I think we began to see some 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 of his traits, some of his more fear-based traits when he wasn't feeling particularly secure, when he wasn't feeling in control. We were beginning to get some some behavior that I didn't understand and was, was new to me. And there was a lot of self-destructive behavior, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of self-criticism. And his name's Teddy, and he would uh, he would do a lot of rocking and saying, Teddy bad, Teddy evil, Teddy, Teddy shouldn't be wow. here. Teddy. And this was really, really upsetting for us. Yeah, and yeah. you know, over the lockdown period, over homeschooling, it was just awful and such an intense, intense environment for everybody that we kind of, we lowered expectations anyway during that period because homeschooling went out the window eventually and we just let him be. And then he started a new school and he felt very safe and secure in this lovely new school and he had wonderful te- teachers. And so we didn't see much of his traits again for a while. He felt very secure. He felt very safe. And we didn't see many of his his behavior that came from fear until this summer. And then this summer, he was transitioning into a new class, a new uh, environment. And suddenly we began to see a lot of the really destructive traits again, you know, 10 times worse than it was before in lockdown. He was doing a lot of self-harming. He was you know, trying to lock himself in cupboards. So he was banging his head against the wall constantly. Again, this teddy bad, teddy bad, teddy evil. Okay. And he was saying, you know, there's voices in his head saying, I should do bad things. I'm a really bad person and I I shouldn't exist, basically. And he was just in this utter self-deprecating spiral. And it was just horrific to watch our little boy going through this utter self-loathing and confusion of who he was and... So yeah, that was that was the catalyst for me kind of exploring what on earth is this? What is this? So what what is going on in my boy? And that was when I began my autism research and really heavily looking into his behavior patterns and where, like I say, that those jigsaw pieces could come together. And it was when I was doing my own research that I found a lot of his traits matching with an autistic brain and the neurodivergent world. And I was like, ah. Oh, okay, right, this, this makes sense now, um, which was yeah. a big, big relief, really, to, to find some kind of answer because school kind of local authorities were, were just not giving us much at all. When you look back, do you see things that he was doing before that are more in line with this, or did it really just come out of nowhere? I think, yes, he's always been interesting. He's always been special. He's always had his 
you know, really intense special interests and he's been so unique. And so that kind of makes sense now. But I think where he's felt safe in his environment, he hasn't had too much need to present the more destructive kind of behavior traits. It's just been, you know, he's been really quirky and into his wonderful uh-huh. interests. But as soon as his environment became less secure, yeah, that was when it just went and he wow. didn't feel safe. It's like heartbreaking to hear the child in that kind of a space and saying those kind of things and I can only imagine what that must feel like. I mean, to hear it is so heartbreaking to feel it must be an intensity even greater. Where do you go when, what do you do? What's the, what, what's the step that you take when you see that? Well, exactly. What, and there's no rule book, is there? There's right. no, <laughs> there's no, right. When I feel this, I go yeah. to X. And I think for a long time, my husband and I were just utterly baffled and we were completely in fear mode ourselves. We would see our child in fear and we would react with fear and go, I don't know how to help you. Like there's this utter feeling out of control, feeling helpless, desperately want to help him, but have no tools in our toolbox as to how that how to help him. And we would just sit back in our relationship as well. It all just kind of exploded a little bit as we were fighting to fight for him, but not knowing how to. And so There was a lot of heightened emotions. There was a lot of fear. There was a lot of not knowing what to do. And that went on for quite a long time, to be honest. And I think the lack of clarity, the lack of, you know, what are we meant to do? Where is that rule book? What are we meant to, you know, are we meant to offer sanctions? Are we meant to punish him for this bad behavior? We we just didn't know. And so... Yeah, the answer to your question is I didn't I didn't know for a very long time where to go with that until I started doing so much more research and so much just of my own, just following my own intuition, I suppose, actually, that I didn't want to punish him. I didn't want to say no, you know, when he's already saying teddy bad, teddy bad, teddy evil, yeah. I don't want to ladle that with more. Yes, you are bad. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely no way. That, but in your neurotypical society, wow. There's all these kind of suggestions of punishment for bad behavior and and sanctions for not cooperating with rules and things. And that was kind of like twittering away in my head. And also the voices of other people and friends, family, school going, well, you know, he he just needs to snap out of this a bit, really, doesn't he? Yeah. And then my like mummy gut instinct was coming in going, no, I need to sit with him. I need to understand this. I need to like walk this journey with him and really understand what's going on in his brain. Wow, which is eventually what I did, and I just, I we we've had so many conversations, and he's he's amazing. He's very articulate. He's very understanding for his age. So we've been able to have some really transparent conversations. As soon as I started realizing, I think this is what might be going on in your brain. He was like, "Oh, okay. Is this is this a thing? Right? This makes sense to me now." And wow. the light was like was going on in his brain. He's like, "Ah." Oh, thank goodness I know what this is now wow and when we were having those conversations together it just it kind of settled both of us to go right this is um this is our truth this is a real thing and we're not alone and he was able to have yeah be very articulate with me about his experience and how he was feeling wow. rather than feeling the shame and guilt of what he was feeling so he was getting relief from being able to identify some of these things the same. Wow, that's very um, evolved. I mean, as a... As, it was as a, like an overnight switch. As soon as we said, I think this is what it is. And then when he actually got his diagnosis, it was like he was able to settle into himself. Wow. Some it was like he'd come out as gay because he was just, 
oh, I can be myself. Like, wow. oh, I don't need to pretend anymore. I don't need to put on this um, this mask of trying to trying to cope yeah. in this world. This is a thing, and I can I can own it. One of the things that's difficult to talk about, and I think that we don't talk about it often, but I know that things have come up with my kids that put me in fear, and I immediately like snap to punish yeah. or get mad, and it's like because I'm in fear and it's like the exact opposite of when I look at the whole picture, you know, it's like, stop, stop, you know, really just, you know, wanted to stop because you don't like the way it's making you feel yet. Mm -hmm. Your kid, your little kid is the one that's going through this huge yeah. thing. And it's like, and then you don't want to go tell somebody that you just jumped all over your child who's going through this emotional time. So it's like this vicious cycle, vicious cycle. So, it's amazing that he's able to articulate those things. So where did you go? Did you, do you go to the pediatrician? Do you go to the school? What steps have you taken? We, yeah, we went, we went through school. They, and this is a, a thing about my son is he is the world's best masker. He will put his, uh, his brave pants on and he will smash a school day and he will show up as he's meant to. And so school, we're not seeing anything. Friends, family, we're not seeing anything. But what nobody was seeing was how much that took out of him, the effort that it went to to go uh -huh. to, to cope with the school day, just what that cost him. And what we were getting at home was just utter destruction, utter exhaustion, overwhelm, fear from having to have put that mask on the whole day. So mm -hmm. school, you know, they didn't understand because they weren't seeing seeing the whole picture they were seeing this very kind of monotone a picture that he was putting on so yeah they didn't see much but we eventually we went for a private diagnosis and we were very blessed to be able to do that and that was a fairly quick diagnosis like I say it was a bit of a turning point for him especially just to go ah oh, right this is what who I am really and to recognize that there were some really cool people out there but I think for us as well as the as the parents going okay, this is a thing, like, I don't need to give you pun punishments. I don't need to have these high expectations of you that I maybe would have done without this understanding. And such a big shift for me was having the realisation that he's not defying me. He's not acting out of obstinate behaviour or I don't want to adhere to your expectations. It's that he couldn't. And my, you know, my big shift from he won't to he can't was huge. And just to lower those expectations, to go easier on him, to go easier on the bedtime routines, on the school runs, on all of that, to go, okay, I don't need to, you know, hurry you along. And like you said, kind of roll with my own fear story of people judging me or being late or, you know, people having a bit of snide remarks that he's not in bed at the time he's meant to be, or he's not in school at the time he's meant to be, or he's not able to stay on a play date as long as he's meant to. That kind of erosion of my own expectations of him was a big change for us. Wow. It seems like it's hard for everybody and it makes sense when the child's young to accept these things that you never knew much about or did not anticipate coming. So there's often a lot of denial. You know, I ran into that. Now you've lived with your child for nine years. It seems like it would be even harder to um, accept you know, because you've had nine, you've had eight or nine years of not, yeah. not, you know, and then all of a sudden, has it been difficult for you and your husband to get on the same page with this? I mean, 
it's yeah. difficult on on relationships. It, yeah, it's been it's been hard. I'm not gonna lie, and I think it was because it was so it was almost overnight that he his his behavior flipped, and we were really worried. I was really worried. I was thinking, what is this? What has made our child just completely have this kind of personality transplant? And yeah, I don't know, and I don't know if many of your other viewers or listeners have this, but I think when we see some behavior traits in our children, it often rings bells for us. And we kind of start looking at ourselves in a new light and go, oh, I didn't, I didn't um, thought about that in terms of myself here. And I know that my husband recognizes a lot of my son's traits. And so for him, that's cast a whole new light on his own life and his own behavior and his own reactions to things. And for my husband, this made him go into a real sense of shame and guilt, actually. This sense of I've, I've probably given him this and I'm providing my son with this life of anxiety and, you know, a lot of things to process for him as well. And it was really interesting watching his journey with this alongside my son's journey of this of acceptance and processing. And like I say, that guilt and shame, which, you know, I was like, no, there's nothing to feel guilty or shameful about, you know, you're all wonderful and unique, but for him, it's been a real, you know, a real journey with that carrying that. Yeah, it's it's way easier to say, oh no, he's fine. He's it's not that, or it's just a phase, you know. And and the day that you you decide that you really have to embrace it and take it on, I, I mean, I remember that for me, it was it's a challenging thing for anybody, but for a male with the male ego. And how about the brothers and their relationship together? Are they have, yeah. has that changed? Have they ever been close? What what's that relationship like? They're not close. And it's it's really hard to watch that, actually. And it's really hard to see my eldest, Teddy's, just, I suppose, challenging challenges with the awareness of his little brother's feelings and his emotions and being able to see that his brother may be struggling or and actually, you know, we are his safe space as a family unit we're his safe space so we see his most destructive behaviors you know when he's coming home from school that is the worst part because he's had to bottle it all up all day and as soon as he's in the car with us it's just utterly explosive so my youngest you know he was in the early stages he was getting a lot of that anger he was it was all like kind of pummeled towards him and that was really hard to watch. And for him to just kind of, you know, age five to kind of withstand that and understand it. And for me to have to, you know, tell him about the, um, his brother's autistic journey at age five, that's quite difficult to, to uh, comprehend. But And now he knows because um, a lot of my son's triggers are sensory. So if my youngest is kind of chat, chat, chatting away in the car, my eldest is kind of, you know, it's too much, too much. So bless him, my little one has learned, you know, we are silent on car journeys. Mm. We don't trigger him. We, you know, I'll save my chatter for mummy for when we get out of the car and when we're, I'm in a safe space to do that. And so he's been on a massive learning curve as well. And it's been really important for me to make sure that he is as safe as the Teddy, my eldest, and that everybody, including us as parents, is safe in this environment. And we're all protecting each other from everybody's, differing needs but yeah it's been a real challenge to take him along this journey as well and for him to understand and because he is often you know he's the channel of of the rage and the explosions and to be able to talk him through that and to keep him safe in that is is hard so much going on so (laughs) much so much going on so much and uh how's everybody's spirits it's getting there it's getting there i'm not gonna lie it's been low 
it's been though um as we're all yeah trying to navigate all of that but i'm so grateful for the understanding that i'm that i'm just learning every day you know i'm just a sponge i'm trying to understand as much as possible the more i'm talking to like-minded parents and hearing other people's experiences it just makes you go ah i'm not alone i'm not alone. i had a mom i'm you know i'm doing quite a few of my own posts on social media and using my coaching kind of platform as as a platform for my own journey at the moment. And I've had a mum this week kind of crying on me going, oh my goodness, it's, it's, I'm not, I'm not feeling alone. And just to feel that sense of community is lovely. And to know that we're not the, the only ones going through this. So was your experience as a wellness coach powerful for and important for embarking on this journey? It was a complete curveball that I wasn't expecting. <laughs> But I'm very just practicing the way I was. We talked about the show, you know, parents taking care of themselves first. A lot of the parents are learning some of these self-care concepts and practices for the first time. You know, I'm wondering, knowing them and providing self-care for parents prior to this, has that been a positive thing for you to have that experience yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And to be able to have those kind of tools in my in my toolbox to come out, you know, it's so much it's so easy to um, you know, preach all of these tools. Right. But when it comes to yourself, it's harder to listen to. But no, having that background has really helped me and helped the family. And I think a lot of the guilt actually of the troubled times, as you know, you know there are there are hard times. And to be able to forgive myself forgive myself, forgive my child, forgive the whole experience that, yeah, we're all just learning. We're all just muddling through. And the times when I've shouted and times when I've raged and times when I haven't particularly reacted in the most positive way, I've been able to, rather than kind of roll around in the guilt of that, go, okay, I'm, you know, we're all just doing the best we can, the tools we're given at the time. And when we know better, we do better. And we can't do any more than that. We can't do any better than that. And so yeah. for me to kind of roll around in a shame journey is not going to help anybody. So I'm going to carry on. I'm going to um, stay in the present. And that's a big tool that I offer all of my clients is just being very, very present. Because when we're feeling guilty, we're going something that I've done in the past is going to affect something that in the future. And we're not being present at all. And it's such a waste of energy to be rolling around in past or future. Yeah. So I try and practice being very present at all times. And that involves you know, not not feeling guilty, but also not trying to worry too much, not looking at that bigger picture of where is this taking us? What is he going to be like later in life? What challenges is he going to face? I really try to practice what I preach in that and that I stay very much in the present and say, no, there's um, there's no point. There's no point in wasting time and energy in all of that time traveling and guilt uh, tripping and anxiety. Awesome. Can you tell us just kind of more about your journey and figuring out what you need for yourself to take care of yourself through this process, like things that you've tried or things that are working, like parents that are listening right now that realize they need to start caring for themselves because they're just burnt out. What are some of the things that you've done and are doing that are helping you through this pretty amazing experience? Yeah, I think talking, just talking in general, like I say, to, to as many people as I can, you know, really offloading and so many of my clients I notice when they hold everything in it doesn't 
go well. It doesn't, you know, it eats away inside of us. This is when we become ill. This is when we develop illnesses. This is when we hold everything in. We try and put on that brave face. So, you know, I have ugly cried on so many friends. I have, you know, told everybody about my journey. You know, like I say, sharing sharing my journey with like-minded parents and using my social media as a platform for where, raising awareness, that has been huge for me. Bear with me. Another thing that I've been doing is I went to a Reiki lady. I don't know how alternative some of your, your listeners are. But Love it. I want to hear about this. She was amazing. She was literally like the best. I'm still seeing her, but she's the best, um, best thing I think I've ever done to treat myself. Um, and she kind of looked at me and she was like, oh, my goodness, I can pick up on your energy. I can, I've got goosebumps picking up on your energy because you're just constantly in fight or flight. You're constantly in defense yeah. mode all the time. And I was like, yeah, I am. And I think we, you know, we talk about the fight or flight, the kind of fear mode of our children a lot and trying to keep them safe. But actually, when we're in this reactive mode as parents, we are also in that fight or flight mode constantly. It's we're constantly trying to defend from whatever's coming our way and coming at us. We end up being on the defensive. We end up being very, very protective and that adrenaline kind of pumping to go, what am I reacting to? What's coming? And that is a really exhausting state to be in all the time, that adrenal kind of fatigue of constantly being on high alert. What do I need to do? What, what's, what's coming next? And so she'd picked up on that. And just for me to channel into that and to realize and to accept and to allow that, that was how I was feeling. And she did a lot of work on me. So I, I'm a big advocate for, for energy work. And Can you tell us a little bit about, I mean, is it how does Reiki work? I mean, is it a, something that they're channeling to you? Is there hands? Yeah, like, so it's, it's a lot of hands-on. She can feel my energy. She can feel, um, it, it was all very, very shallow. She looks at the chakras. She looks at which chakras needs working on. And again, she just said, you know, my energy was very tight, kind of like, again, that kind of, fight or flight and then by the end she'd kind of open me up again the big thing also that I've learned with Reiki with just my own journey is the power of breath and I loved your meditation at the beginning thank you very much for that and just knowing that that is such a huge resource to us all that is free (laughs) to be able to take those few minutes and I don't think I'd been practicing proper breathing for a long time you know I was very good at doing (laughs) (laughs) but not the proper deep inhale that gives you that kind of source of life and you know the breath comes from all over the world you know the the breath that we're intaking could come from the himalayas and to give that vital source of life into ourselves is is something that i think we underestimate sometimes amazing have you ever heard of wim wim hoff no i don't think i I just started studying this guy this guy like you have to check. I think it's W-I-N-H-O-F, but um, he's like has 26 Guinness Book of World Records and he's known for going into the Arctic and he goes into the ice water and he stays in it for 90 minutes and he actually can raise his body temperature. a degree. He raised it a degree higher after 90 minutes in water that we would die of hypothermia through the power of his breathing and his mind. He's a pretty amazing man and he's humble and and I've started doing some of his breathing exercises and he believes in cold therapy and worth checking out, but Mm -hmm. he's saying that we're not breathing. And just by breathing, he has these testimonials of people curing themselves of disease and, you know, depression and all these Mm -hmm. things because he said we're not getting the breath up into these other channels into our brain because we have this short, anyway, 
I'm not a, a an expert enough, but worth checking out. And I absolutely fascinating, absolutely yeah. fascinating. Again, just that free resource that maybe we we don't we don't use enough of. Right. Yeah. He's that's awesome. So she was really able to help you release that tension. Yes. And like I say, just yeah, talking, releasing it. Like I say, I think when we bottle it all up, like like my son, like when he bottles up all of his feelings, you know, it's got to come out some way. And it's it's best that it seeps out in gentle ways of, of talking to a friend or whatever means possible rather than us bottling it all up and having that shame cycle and having that kind of fear-based story which keeps it all in and then it explodes. So what's wor- is there anything that's working for Teddy these days like where's he at is he struggling is he deep in struggle right now is he finding some healing what's his journey right now he is uh so we're on easter holidays at the moment so he's living his best life because there's no there's no demands on him there's no expectations and i really really noticed that what he wants most in the world is just to not have pressure not have expectations not need to be doing something not needing to conform and perform and so for us as parents to recognize that and um to have that language of acknowledging that is is really helpful as well so for example we went on a um a play day today and i said you know your, your code word or your code action is to come and touch your nose if, if you're when you're done you know you need to be able to be brave enough to tell me and kind of half an hour into the play date he kind of sidled up to me and was like that. i was like fine that's us we're done whereas I think previous me would have gone no you know like just stay a bit longer or you know I'm having fun chatting with a friend or whatever and for us all to have that bravery to acknowledge and accept and allow what he needs is is a real kind of turning point in our journey I think to go that's okay you need to go home now that's good and for me to not put any more pressure on him other than for him to just feel safe and secure and you know, that goes in with school as well. You know, if he's having a real bad mental health day, I'm not going to pressure him into going into school and pushing, you know, further expectations on him when I know he's not going to cope and it's going to be a downward spiral. Is dad finding any self-care that's helping him through this journey? I think, you know, again, just all of us being very articulate, very, very aware, very open with where we're all at and yeah i think we'll we will get there <laughs> well send you know tell him from one da- i know it's a challenging journey so from one dad to another tell him you know I, i'm rooting for him i know it's not easy and um i do believe it gets better as we as we grow and evolve so it sounds like you're online can you tell us you know where we can find you online and what kinds of things you're talking about online yeah um so you can find me and i'll I'll forward you the link later chad it's angharrodhughes.com you can find me on social media i'm on angharrodhughes wellbeing on instagram and facebook a lot of it is like i say tools and techniques for, for overwhelmed parents and I am, you know, I'm not saying I'm exempt from from the pressures of life. You know, it's what makes us human. It's what creates a human existence is to yeah. roll with that roller coaster. And like I said, just to be able to wear the T-shirt of other parents and say, I relate. I so get you. It's a really powerful and um, I feel really privileged to be able to say, yeah, hand on heart, I get you. Um, a lot of the, the kind of the techniques and tools I offer, I suppose, in my coaching is this sense of not comparing ourselves to anybody else, not having these expectations. And my 
biggest tool I offer anybody that walks through my doors is to remove the word should from their vocabulary mm. entirely. Because when we're saying I should, I should, yeah. I should, it just puts so much um, guilt on the fact that we're not doing that thing. And it's put so much pressure on ourselves to do that thing. And it's wondering where that should and that expectation comes from. Where have we learned that that condition should? Who has taught us that? And do we need to carry that on in our lives? Or can we cast that away that should? Yeah. Um, and it's such a derogatory word. It says who I am at the moment is not good enough. You know, right. I should be so much better. I should be a much shinier version of myself. Yeah. And every time that we say should, and on our child as well, we say you should. You know, we put this expectation that they should be somebody other than who they are. Mm-hmm. And it's just utterly inhumane to say we should, our child should be anybody other than who they are. And yeah. that goes for us as parents as well, that, you know, we're on this journey. We shouldn't be any further on. We shouldn't be better. We should just be who we are, learning and doing the best we can. Yeah, I just felt it just then when you brought it up, just acknowledging that we do that to ourselves and that we don't have to. I had a moment myself just of shoulders dropped a little bit because we just put that pressure and it's Mm -hmm. overwhelming and it like pushes us to that fight or flight stage and we don't even realize that we're living in it all the time. It's crazy. If people want to reach out to you, I mean, do, do you work with people... All yeah, over? I work with people all over the world. Um, I work on Zoom. I work, um, yeah, I've worked with people in the US. I've worked with people in Thailand. I've worked with people in Afghanistan. I'm, I'm all over. I'm online. So I, um, I'm accepting clients. And yeah, it's just a very authentic journey to, um, I think it's bringing ourselves back to our truth. And um, I'm writing a book at the moment called Speak Your Truth. Oh, um, awesome. And it's, it's very much just about how we can be as truly authentic as we can. And, you know, for my son, that's being as truly authentic as he can be. And we had this really interesting conversation a few weeks ago where he said, Mommy, you know, I don't think you even know the real me, the true me. I Aww. think what I'd really, really like to get to is the place where I can be the real me all of the time. And that was a really powerful thing to hear from my eight-year-old son. Yeah. And I think it's, but I think it's true for, you know, all of us in society to say, I want to just be me with no shame, no judgment, no expectations, no pressure. And I want to be able to speak that and, and understand what that is in the first place. So many clients come to me and go, I don't know who, who I am underneath all of the conditioning that we've been put on. Put into. Right. Um, this kid sounds so evolved in some ways. <laughs> I mean, the stuff that he's able to talk about and thought process is pretty profound. It's really brilliant he is amazing um, he is he's yeah special little chap well i could talk to you forever and i'd love to have you back on the show when your book's ready uh so mm-hmm. we can hear about it but just kind of in close first of all thank you for taking the time to be with us and for the listeners we'll put your contact information in the show notes so if you didn't get it look in the show notes to reach out to you and just kind of in closing for the parent that just got the diagnosis, is struggling, doesn't see any light in sight, is just feeling down, but says they don't have time. They don't have time to do these things for themselves. Mm. What do you say to what do you say to them? There is time. You know, we have to make time. We have to put our own gas mask on first. You know, even if it's just a couple of minutes, even if it's locking ourselves in a cupboard, like you said earlier, and just breathing, we have to make time. And to have that 
allowance is vital for everybody. You know, we as parents need to keep that ball rolling and we need to put ourselves first. And I think removing the guilt of that, sometimes we feel so selfish for putting our needs first when, you know, there's a multiple, um, so many needs going on in our house. But to say, no, I need, I need my time. I need my space. And again, I say this to my son. I say, you know, how you need your your boundaries and your space. Mummy needs hers as well, actually. And I need you to respect that. And whether he listens or not, I try and I try and implement those boundaries. So where you can put that gas mask on, and whether that is reaching out to a friend, whether that is, you know, journaling everything that you're feeling, getting it out, just finding a, a, a community online that has a similar story. Whatever that looks like, it's about putting, giving yourself that time guilt-free. Coddle it. I love that you said you need to make the time because you really do. And I want to thank you for being on the show and sharing your heart and sharing your journey and blessings to you and your family. And I'd love to stay connected and continue this journey together. So, thank you so much, Chef. Thank you for your listeners. Thank you for having me on the show. All right. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, Andy. All right. Bye-bye. This concludes our show for today, and I'd like to personally thank you for spending the time with us on a topic near and dear to our hearts. If you'd like to be part of the Naked Parent Nation and help us reach those parents that are struggling and overwhelmed, there's no better way to help than by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on iTunes. iTunes highlights the shows based on these metrics. And the more the show gets highlighted, the more opportunities people will have to be introduced to the show where they can hear that message of hope or that tip that can change everything. So follow the link in our show notes and we hope to have you back here tomorrow where we'll do it again. From the team here at the Naked Parent Podcast, we wish you the life you've always dreamed of and then some. So long. So long.